Hello, Assalamualaikum and welcome to episode number six uh, with your host Mohammed Randari and today I am joined by my very good friend Nazia Faiz. How are you Nazia? Assalamualaikum, uh, very good Mo, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good. I thank thank you so much for joining us on, you know, a Sunday morning, uh, which I really really appreciate. Um, it's been a while since we talked, so it's just really been good to catch up with you, I guess, before uh, we went live. Um, so why don't you tell our guests a little bit more about yourself, uh, Anasia? And and I I know very very interestingly, your background is that you're a Sri Lankan Muslim, and I think for uh, my podcast listeners, it'll be very interesting to find out about what the Muslim community in Sri Lanka is like. I think it's, you mentioned to me before, and I remember when we had this conversation um, back when we first met, and you mentioned that it was just a minority of 10% of the population in, in Sri Lanka were Muslims. And I remember feeling really naive that no, I didn't know that, that there was uh, such a significant, I guess, in my mind, population in, in, in Sri Lanka. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so I was actually born in um, the UK and my parents moved back to Sri Lanka when I was three. So I grew up there and then I came here when I was 19 uh, to go to university. So I guess as of, you know, next year, I've essentially spent half my life in the UK and half in Sri Lanka, which I think, you know, has given me a bit of a kind of well-rounded or unique perspective on certain things. And um, yes, as you said, uh, people don't, I guess, generally associate, you know, Sri Lanka and Muslims like they would, you know, some of the other Southeast Asian um, countries. So only 10% of the population of Sri Lanka are Muslims. And um, you're not the only one who's surprised when, you know, they they find out they're actually Muslims in Sri Lanka because it's not that common, especially when you're outside Sri Lanka. Uh, so what was it like growing up in, in Sri Lanka? Because, you know, there was a 26-year war, I guess, um, you know, with the local Tamil rebels. And, and did any of that kind of in, impact you growing up when you spent time over there? Or, I mean, how did it impact the Muslim community, I guess? So um, so I grew up in Colombo and the war primarily took place in the north of the country. So I wasn't directly affected by the war um it it was obviously happening um you know for for kind of a couple of decades i guess uh, before um i was born and um yeah it, it was just the norm at the time there were some you know like bombs and things that did take place in colombo and actually uh, the president's children went to my school so um one of the things or you know security measures were that we couldn't actually be dropped off outside our school uh we had to be dropped off further up and then walk so um so, so that was kind of normal for us um you know at the school and yeah it, it was around us um the war but we weren't directly affected um and in terms of how i guess you know muslims were impacted again uh, there weren't any direct um 
impacts on us as a community because it was more against, you know, the Tamil Tigers and the Tamils were the minority and, you know, um, the, the rest of the majority um, of the country. And I think, um, you know, growing up, I had quite, you know, a normal upbringing. I, um, there was a lot of like, emphasis on education and Islam in my family and I think you know I, I didn't see myself as very different from anyone else I had lots of friends from lots of different religions and yeah I, I was just normal mm-hmm. and I know um, from talking to you before that there's um, your, your three sisters in the family aren't you uh, which is quite quite unique um, yeah. <laughs> and 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 so your your, your parents clearly encouraged education and, and, you know, especially for the woman kind of in, in your family, pursuing a career path that's going to make you independent. I'm just trying to understand, you know, traditionally in, in, in some Muslim families, that's not necessarily the way that the parents think, uh, you know, it's let's get our daughters married as soon as possible and they become someone else's problem, <laughs> to put it quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So what... Yep, that's what, true. <laughs> What made your parents different, do you think, in terms of their thinking? Is it because they were quite highly educated themselves or their parents brought them up um, thinking in that way? Or was it something else? So I think, um, so my dad, he's um, he's a surgeon. He actually qualified in the UK, which is why my parents uh, lived here at the time. Um, and both my parents worked very hard and, you know, they sacrificed a lot to give my sisters and I the life we had. I think um, living in the UK, so they lived here for about 12 years, definitely did open their mind up a bit. Um, and I think just having three girls and no um, no boys just kind of gave I guess they just had us to focus on. They couldn't, um, you know, have their sons be educated and their daughters not. All they had were three daughters. So I think, especially my mom, um, she wanted us to be financially independent and my dad too wanted us to be, you know, very educated and very successful. And um, yeah, as you said, this was definitely not the norm in our Sri Lankan Muslim community. Um, And especially, you know, going abroad for university, it, it was just not something people people did, or, or girls rather. Um, I even went to a mixed school, which was uncommon for Muslim girls because they usually went to an all-girls school or an Islamic school. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact reason why my parents chose to, you know, take take a slightly different route. But, you know, I'm very grateful that they did because, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today if, you know, they, they hadn't put so much focus on mm-hmm. um, educating us girls. Yeah, it really makes you think about some of the decisions that parents have to make and how it really can shape the future of their their, their child's mm-hmm. life, uh, which is quite, uh, yeah. I mean, it gives me slight anxiety now. Both you and I are kind of newly-ish married uh, mm-hmm. now for about maybe two years, um, and thinking about this kind of stuff, you know, it, it gives you a bit of anxiety that you hope you make the right choices, you know, for your 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 kids. Uh, so you you mentioned that, um, that you you uh, came 
to university here in the UK. So I'm assuming you did your A-levels in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. um, and so can you talk us through your education journey? So what were A-levels like? Um, how did you perform? What subjects were you good at? And then how did you end up choosing um, to do what you did at, at university, which I think is economics? And how did that go? And I'm particularly interested in that transition again between um, Sri Lanka and the UK. Okay, so yeah, um, school um, in, in Sri Lanka was good. Um, life was quite, you know, simple and free, and I enjoyed studying. I, I did very well in my A levels as well, and particularly in economics, which is why um, I ended up choosing to study economics at university. Um, and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, long term, but I knew I had to do something kind of, you know, proper. So engineering, maths, law, economics, something that, you know, would be kind of worthy in my parents' eyes as well, because, you know, I knew they were spending a lot to actually send me abroad to study. Um, so I guess the kind of main focus at the time as like an 18, 19 year old was to choose something that would get me a good job at the end of it. Um, so that's how I kind of saw things at the time. I didn't really have, you know, a clear passion as such. Um, and um, yeah, so I just chose to study economics because I enjoyed it. And when I came here, um yeah it was it was a big change for me um things are very different you know in sri lanka compared to the uk um even simple things like I never use, you know, an ATM back home. And then, you know, I used one for the first time when I moved here. Um, it, you know, just simple things like that. Everything was, was kind of different. And I was here alone. I had to figure it out myself. Um, so I think in terms of university, when I look back, I think the most valuable things for me were not the, you know, educational aspects, but it was everything else. It was that independence it was you know learning things for myself just having to figure out you know life without my yeah, parents yeah. and without that security for the first time yeah i can, I can really uh, empathize with that because even from south africa you kind of come from your cushy little bubble where you have a nice house and you know everyone mm -hmm. and things are a bit more simple because things are done for you and then over here in the uk you have to be a lot more independent in how you go about things i just remember for example having to use public transport for the first time because back home we'd never use public transport and sitting on a bus for the first time I mean as this 11 year old kid I used to look at like other kids they were really comfortable in the UK just like you know going about <laughs> I was like really scared because I had never done it before so <laughs> yeah that, um, that was that was the same for me <laughs> yeah um it's interesting uh, how um a lot for a lot of first generation i guess that's what we are um immigrants to the uk we have very similar experiences which, I, which i've um yeah i'm sure someone will write a book about that someday but <laughs> <laughs> um so i i want to talk a little bit more about faith and and so being a muslim and, and that being a sort of a, a part of your identity and and how that has maybe evolved um, over the years, especially transitioning between the two countries. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so as I kind of mentioned before, um, yeah, I just grew up 
very you know normal um i didn't see myself as different from any anyone else any of my friends um and i think that um over the years this has definitely changed i think my connection to to my identity as a muslim has definitely become stronger and that's uh i guess partly because you know i i've, I've become older um i understand the world a bit better and partly because of you know the things that have been happening uh in the world over the last you know two decades um and now when you know I I do look back and I reflect on on things that that may have happened in my you know childhood and or you know questions that people would ask me and assumptions they would make and yeah you know things do stand out to me as you know okay you know that might have been a um you know bias towards you know the muslim community maybe not myself personally but just in general um i think there were definitely subtle you know inherent biases uh that i did experience and i think uh, funnily enough moving here i haven't actually felt that um i guess living in london as well it's quite you know multicultural and you know there are a lot of muslims here um people from you know a lot of different i guess minorities living here as well so i haven't actually felt that or felt that here or in any negative way um i think that um what did change for me though was what happened you know last year in sri lanka um with the attacks that happened over the easter weekend and um what i saw back home was that all this hidden bias uh towards muslims just came to the surface um and suddenly overnight it became okay to you know openly discriminate muslims and you know it, it does make me very sad that my family who you know um were born bred and still live in sri lanka haven't felt completely safe since that happened and um yeah i, I think my connection to being you know uh muslim evolves mm-hmm. every day i i know you you mentioned particularly in in 2019 and i think it was around the general election time with um was it raja paksa coming in uh, i think that's his name i don't know if i'm saying it right but I wonder whether it's a more kind of a general political theme that we're seeing around the world where a minority is kind of used as political leverage to you know gain the populist vote and unfortunately um by using a population as a tool you create this sort of enmity and you're able to to create a disunity amongst the masses and uh, the the unintended cause or maybe even the intended uh, cause is that this minority population has to deal with the consequences of of that political political maneuvering and we actually seeing that in in the UK we seen that in the United States uh where generally it is immigrant populations that are being blamed for everything that are that is going wrong and it's really really unfortunate but i think our political leaders have to have to take on the brunt or the responsibilities for for creating this sort of situation 
and it's um, it's one of the great challenges I think of our day and age because more and more countries are, are kind of moving down that direction where um, there's a class disparity between uh, certain minority groups and the rest of the population. And unfortunately, that's being used as a sort of a justification for um, targeting a specific group. But it's really just political maneuvering, which is which is the worst thing about it, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, Sri Lanka is a prime example of that. Uh, but but then again, I do think, you know, um, in this day and age, when in 2020, you know, the, the world is so, you know, integrated. Um, and I, I just wonder why people can't, you know, decide for themselves, why, why they can't think and reason and understand that, you know, uh, you know what, what's wrong with being a part of a minority why, why do we have to discriminate you know why what what if someone's a different color or religion or you know wh- why can't people have these thoughts themselves and then you know act accordingly act in a way that is you know fair mm. um so yes i agree that politically you know they, they just don't help politicians but on the other hand i think people People just don't want to take the time, um, don't want to do research, don't want to understand themselves because maybe they've never felt um, discriminated. Um, So so they've just had no reason to. And it's just easier to think what they've always thought. Yeah, you're right. There's a there's a crisis in sort of critical and independent thinking. And also there's a real need for education. I think in a sense unfortunately the responsibility falls on us to try and educate these people otherwise they just remain sort of ignorant and because the politicians are not incentivized to actually try and educate people in the right way because they just care about votes um it it sort of uh, reiterates and creates the same issue in the same cycle over and over again um, but uh, I know we can, we can talk forever about politics, so I, <laughs> I won't get into that so much. But I just wanted to talk um, about, and sorry, I know I keep going back to Sri Lanka here, but and I know you're just as much British as you are Sri Lankan. <laughs> so, um, but over the recent um, years, Sri Lanka has really kind of boosted or, or like jumped as a, a place for, for tourism, right? one of like the best places to visit in terms of like, uh, you know, doing amazing things and beaches. And um, how do you feel that has helped the country or helped the image of the country? And um, what do you think generally about um, Sri Lanka as a tourism destination? Is it a good or bad thing? Um, Well, as a tourist destination, I think, yeah, it's definitely a great country to visit. I think um, for such a small country, it has so much you know, so much beauty, so many different things that you can do and see in in such a small area. And, you know, I I definitely recommend um, visiting, you know, Sri Lanka and and just, yeah. And I think even, you know, living there, um, I don't think there is with the country itself i think it's it's amazing the culture the food um yeah i don't have much negative to say um 
it's just there are a couple of things to do with, you know, what we've just discussed in terms of um, discrimination and, you know, politics and things that are still, um, you know, are still quite new and there's a lot of room for for development and for those things to kind of, you know, progress over the years. So I think, yeah, for tourism, it it is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and definitely you have to shout out the tea as well over there. You know, they have some amazing tea in Sri Lanka, if anyone didn't know that. And uh, yeah, it's the place to go and the tea to taste. My friend, every time he goes, he brings us back some. <laughs> and uh, honestly, every time, and now I feel really bad because every time he goes, I'm like, please bring me back tea. Please bring me back tea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the tea is definitely good. <laughs> Um, so, so jumping back to kind of more um, what you studied and and how that led into a, a sort of um, making a career decision. So um, you studied economics. Um, what was your first job? Um, I guess your first graduate job. Why did you kind of decide to choose it? Um, did you know what you wanted to do at that time? Uh, and I guess talking through your career journey then from your graduate job to what you currently do now, um, maybe just talk us through some of the choices and the decisions and experiences that have led you to do what you do right now. So um, after university, I mean, to be completely honest, all I wanted to do was find a job. Um, and I applied for everything and anything. And um, yeah, I got offered a job at PwC to do consulting. It, you know, seemed like it would be interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I took the job and that's where we, you know, met more many years ago now. <laughs> yeah, too many years. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it, um, I mean, after I finished university, there was definitely a lot of pressure for me to move back to Sri Lanka. Um, choosing to live in the UK after university and working here without actually being married and without parents as a female was not really encouraged at all. And as far as I kind of know, um, at the time, I was the first Muslim, you know, female from my community back home to kind of live and work abroad um, alone. So without parents or without a husband. And um, yeah, in fact, in our community, many girls um, at the time were generally not encouraged or in some cases not even allowed to go to university. So, I mean, fortunately for me, and I'm extremely grateful to my parents for this, um, as I said before, they wanted us to have a great education and, you know, they let us go abroad and study. Um, However, um, after university, I, I did have to kind of fight to, to stay, stick around, find a job. And I had a lot of people, you know, make comments to me about being, you know, kind of career woman or not caring about the home or cooking and that I wouldn't find a husband. Um, and, and yeah, it was difficult. And, you know, I, and it couldn't be further from the truth because I don't think that it's one or the other. And, um, you know, I I choose both. I choose to have a career. Plus, I I choose to, you know, take care of my home and, you know, my family as well. And I I don't 
I, I don't think any Muslim woman should have to make the the choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite your story is quite inspiring in the sense that you went and you did it. And I think sharing your st- your story is really a fantastic thing to do. So so thank you for for doing that. So it, you you mentioned that you know the community back home didn't necessarily react in the best way. And I used to also find when I used to visit South Africa sometimes, you know, you start noticing the ways in which the UK is so culturally different Mm -hmm. from back home and maybe more open-minded in some ways. And and people don't realize that when you immigrate to another country, it's difficult, it's a challenging thing for your identity, right? Because when you're in the UK, you don't feel like you fully necessarily fit here. Like you, you're still trying to integrate. And when you go back home, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, look, sh- you know, she or he is from, from the UK and he's acting in a certain way because, oh my God, he's been brought up now in, in, in the UK and he's, he's open-minded, you know, wishy-washy, all of that kind of stuff. How did you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can definitely understand that because I've experienced it, you know, myself. And I and I probably do to some extent every time I go back home. Um, and I have a moment where I kind of have to, you know, reset to certain, I guess, cultural or religious norms, which, you know, I haven't been around for a while. And then when I go back and I'm so, you know, deeply immersed in it, um, yeah, it, it takes me a couple of moments to to get back to it, I would say. Um, yeah, and, and I definitely don't agree with, you know, certain things that, that I see or hear there. But, you know, what I don't try to do is, you know, uh, you know, push my views on others yeah. and I try and understand, you know, d- different points of view and where they're coming from. Because I think, you know, w- when you think about our parents or our grandparents' generations, you know, they've grown up in a certain way and that's all they've known growing up and that is the norm for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had the opportunity to to live and work abroad and move with lots of different people and, you know, that, that's why our mindset has changed, whereas they haven't had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it you need to have that understanding as well when, when you kind of are in that environment, because forcing someone to change or forcing your opinions on them is, is not really the right way, you know, forward in those situations. I think I think you're so right because it, 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 you have to be respectful of each other's views. You have to try your best to understand it. But I don't really necessarily understand why people feel the need to sort of try and correct others. I mean, you would have never been in that person's shoes or experienced what they have experienced to make them think the way that they do right now. So all you can do is present your point of view and respectfully try to understand their point of view and you know meet somewhere in the middle better <laughs> yeah um, so, uh, agree to disagree is what yeah, i say <laughs> yeah. um so jumping forward now i i know you're now in a new role so you're you're working for a company called ipipeline could you talk us more through your role what made you transition from pwc to this new role and um 
maybe more about um, the industry that you're currently working in, which is, I know, life and pensions insurance. Mm -hmm. And um, insurance is always a hot topic with, with Muslims. So maybe you can just cover your, your, <laughs> your thoughts on that. Um, so, yes. So I was at PwC for six years, which is definitely a long time. I think um, my journey was was definitely not easy. I think a lot of people think that, you know, once you uh, work at a big four, your life is kind of sorted, you know, you have everything figured out. But that definitely wasn't the case for me. Um, and it, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted, what kind of company I wanted to work for, you know, what, what kind of things were important. And I realized that I couldn't get those things at, you know, PwC. I wanted to work um, at a much smaller firm. I wanted to kind of be more valued as, you know, an employee and not just, you know, an, another person that's um, easily replaceable. And um, so that's kind of what led me to, you know, look for something else and move to iPipeline. So what I do now is um, quite varied, actually. So I do kind of client engagement, governance, um, commercial control for clients. I do project management. Um, and then I also lead and kind of support, you know, firm initiatives such as developing, you know, their R&D strategy. So, um so yeah, I am quite enjoying it, and it, it's very different to PwC. It, it's a much smaller firm, um, just ninety-eight people, I think, at the moment. And um, yeah, I think it, it's it's definitely um, good for me. But um, as I've said to you, you know, before, I see this as kind of a medium term, you know, step in my career, in my life. And I, you know, definitely have different and other aspirations that, you know, I'm working towards. That's really interesting. I think when you move to a slightly smaller firm, you definitely get that variety in the role that you talk about. You know, you're doing so many different things. And, and that generalist skill set that you will develop from this experience is going to be so valued in the market. And also, like you mentioned, allow you to do things that you want to do, you know, whether it's start up a business or whether it's, um, uh, you know, work on a, a charity initiative. I think that generalist skill set is sometimes undervalued, especially in, in, in larger companies. The push is always to try and specialize, specialize, find a niche, find a niche. Um, so I think what you're doing is, is good. Yeah. yeah. And just on that, I think um, a lot of young people think that, you know, they have to start specializing in their young 20s. But, you know, really, you're so early in your career, you haven't worked much. How do you know what you want to, you know, specialize in? And I think, you know, one thing that I want people to kind of, I guess, take away from my journey is that it's okay to not be sure. It's okay to figure things out. It's okay to try different things and take a risk. I think your 20s are, you know, when you should take risks and, and it's okay to do different things. And, um, yeah, just move companies, move jobs, move roles, whatever it is, you know, to actually find your passion and what you want to do long term. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice um, and something potentially to to end on as well. So um, at the end of our podcast, we have a, a sort of a fun round, um, but I also like to throw in some 
you know, maybe um, some questions that wouldn't traditionally fit in into the rest of the sort of conversation. So the one question that I had was, did you ever consider becoming an economist? Because <laughs> uh, I know you were really good at it. Yeah, you, you know, at A-levels, you, go, you, you mentioned to me that you came second in the world for econ- yeah. Um, mm. So why didn't you become an economist? That's a very good question. <laughs> Um, I think after university, I think I, I did apply for a couple of economist jobs. Um, and yeah, PwC was just the first one I got. So I decided to take it. And I think actually thinking back in university, when I did study economics, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite different to A-level economics. It was very maths based and I didn't really enjoy that part of it. Um, so I think that that's probably why I didn't become an economist. Yeah, the reason I ask, obviously, is because, you know, the representation amongst women uh, in that field is very kind of still trying to catch up. It's not uh, on parity with, uh, with, with men. So um, it's good to try and understand why that's the case. But uh, yeah, if you don't enjoy something, definitely don't do it. <laughs> um, so this fun round that we have at the end, I ha- I'm just going to throw a few words at you. And you can kind of just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Or you could even respond with, it doesn't have to be one word. It can just be your general thoughts on, on it. And I try to pick words that hopefully should resonate with you so <laughs> um so the first one that i have is the united kingdom home home i like that very very nice <laughs> <laughs> okay um so um tea coffee well that's not really the point of the game is it <laughs> Well, I, I think that's it, it's good because it's meant to show the, the kind of listeners the way that you think and, you know, just a bit of uh, fun as well. So, um, I mean, I do love coffee and tea yeah. and I can't choose between the two. So, yeah. fun fact there. I, I, haven't, I, I haven't had my coffee yet and I think it's about, it's about coffee time. Uh, it's a bit worrying when you get, like, dependent on it and then you're like, oh, maybe I should tail it off now. And then so what I do is I'll have tea instead of coffee. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I feel really good about myself. I'm less caffeine independent but it's just in, all in my mind really because <laughs> especially during ramadan and when you get those um caffeine headaches <laughs> yeah yeah and i am i interviewed um dr imran haq on one of my other um previous podcasts and um he was telling me there's these like caffeine supplement tablets that you can get okay <laughs> And I was like, why did you tell me about this? Like, I don't need to know about this. <laughs> so now you know as well. <laughs> the last word that I have is um, future. Um, so my future is, so I have lots of goals and dreams, but I think it kind of boils down to one thing for me, which is living a purposeful and a joyful life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hopefully what my future holds for me. That's great. Well, I, I, you have a really inspiring story. So I, I, I hope, and I do see like the passion that comes out when you talk about your story, about sharing it for you know, so other women can hear it. So I, I really think it'll be good if, you know, you continue to do that and, uh, yeah, share your story more because you, you never know which person might be listening on the other end of the line and might be inspired by it. So, 
Yeah, definitely. It's one of the things that that I do want want to do with my life, and you know, especially to, I guess, Muslim w- women. Um, yeah, I, I just want to say that you can achieve and do, you know, a- anything that you want to, and following your own dreams and goals, um, and then being a mother, wife, and daughter, not you know, mutually exclusive, and you know. In fact, I think that actually working towards your own goals will help you better fulfill all the other roles you have. Um, Fantastic. So, yeah. I think that's a great way to end. So um, if, if you have um, liked this podcast, please uh, do like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Um, share your comments on what you think um, on our social media sites and do share with your friends and family. But Nazia Jazakla, and thank you so much for talking to us today. And that's Assalamu Alaikum from me. Thank you, Mo. Thank you for having me.